0: Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk and it's my favourite time of the week because John Fardy is here to preview his wonderful show Screen Time. John, how are you, chicken? I'm
1: great. All the better for being here. Sat in front of you.
0: That's such a lie. But anyway, on (laughs) we go. What's on the show this week?
1: We have uh, all the week's new releases as always in the company of Chris What's well, a fascinating new Irish movie of sorts, Future Tense*, and a brilliant new sports documentary called Mission to Burnley, which is these great documentary makers who basically followed Burnley in the championship for a year with Vincent Company having taken over mm-hmm. as manager. And these really unusual owners who are actually Mormons, Church mm-hmm. of the Latter-day Saints, and they have a spectacular year. And the access they got was Incredible, and I, you know, it's not a sports show, obviously, but sports documentaries make for a great watch when they're done well because, in a way, they have nothing to do with sport, they're more about the life.
0: camaraderie and the personalities yeah, and all that
1: stuff. And they're great metaphors, so uh, it, it's a great chat. I have. With
0: did them. you watch? Sounds fantastic. I'll be <laughs> Correct listening. Response. Uh, did you watch the Wrexham one with Ryan Reynolds and Rob yes, McElhenney? Yes,
1: yes, that was that was enjoyable. It's a while since I saw that, but yes, no, I did. The one I a door of late, yeah, is the last dance, which is a basketball one. Yes, with Michael Jordan. That was that, that reminds was just me of COVID,
0: though. That of was COVID. Like, that was the COVID watch. Yeah, Everyone I suppose, was I suppose it. it
1: was to a certain extent, but that was the best sports documentary of of recent years. That I thought.
0: Yeah, uh, do you know? Because last week you were talking about the Tyson Fury show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just find I found when I watched the wreck something that there was a touch of the reality TV show about the Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds thing. It was all very polished and produced and it, maybe it aired a little bit too much on the entertainment team. Like, obviously, it's the star factor. And that's why people are watching it. But the bit about the football club and the long-term fans mm. who go to every match even though they lose every match, you know what I mean? Like, th- that dedication, those real stories, if you will. Yeah. It's compelling viewing, Absolutely. and you get so emotionally invested in people you couldn't pick out of a lineup.
1: Absolutely, and there's another great one, uh, Sunderland till I die, which has oh, again, I watched that as well. Fans, which is what this whole business of f- football and sports fandom is all meant to be about, essentially, not billions of euros from the Middle East, you know.
0: And um, the other one that I now I don't know does it does it does it count? you the Senadoc?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that in a way, started a resurgence in sports documentaries. Because if you said to someone... You know, it, it's a documentary about a Formula One driver. Most people, who particularly if you're not into Formula One, would mm. say, I'm not really into that. And that is one of the most compelling documentaries ever made. Asif Kapady was the guy who did that. And he just makes brilliant documentaries. He did one about Maradona, yeah. which has no voiceover in it. And it's just all this footage of him and Napoli. God, I feel like watching that now when I think about it. He's one of the greatest documentary makers ever. He did the Amy Winehouse one as well. We, brilliant. we mentioned but him Senna a few weeks
0: brilliant. ago. Uh, did it mean yeah, you? We, no, or
1: someone else you were talking
0: to? No, you and I. Uh, we were talking did about we? the. Because I'd been talking to Colin Buig about the Wham and oh, about yes, Oasis yes, and all the sorry, rest. So yeah, you yeah. did. Yeah, yeah I pay did. attention in our
1: comments. Yeah, you too. Clearly, I do. Um, well, listen. No, but Cathy, Senna. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say something, but I won't. But uh, the Senate thing, because Harry put that on at home. And I was like, oh, here yeah. we go. I dehydrated myself crying. It's one of the most like gripping things and you kind of love and hate everyone in it.
1: But this is what I mean about a great sports documentary. People will sometimes be put off by them because they're not into sport. But I think I get not watching football matches or basketball Mm. matches or Formula One, right? Because it's not your thing and Mm. it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for you. But the documentaries that are sometimes made about these things are so much more. One of the greatest ever, I don't know how much more time I have, but hoop dreams back in the 90s about these American kids attempting to become basketball players bold statement probably the greatest sports documentary ever made
0: wow yeah
1: check it out Hoop Dreams unbelievable okay yeah
0: okay that's a good recommendation it is
1: and if you want more of those good recommendations 6pm news talk screen time for relaxing times get out of my
0: studio chicken thank you very much bye now, uh, before the break, I mentioned it, but uh, there's been an awful lot of talk about the Digital Services Act. This is something that big tech has been preparing for for quite some time. But be honest with me, do you actually know what it is? Gene Kelly and Raymond Shelley of Brown Jacobson Ireland are with me now to explain. Jean, uh, if I could start with you, uh, can you just give us a bit of context as to the what and the why of this? Uh, I suppose the
2: DSA is really a very aspirational type of law. Lawyers are very fond of using the expression that something is a landmark law. We tend to say that nearly everything is a landmark law. But the Digital Service Act really is. It is um, a line in the sand by the European Commission in terms of the regulation of content moderation. And that's really what focus at and the regulation of online platforms generally. So it's something that the law has matured on, Uh, you know, 20 years ago, when these platforms were new, we had certain instruments that we used to regulate these platforms, Um, a combination of kind of content laws and competition laws. And it was felt that they weren't enough and that uh, individuals' rights weren't being safeguarded sufficiently. So it became a political driver for the European Union to be seen to regulate this area more strongly Um, and so that's why the DSA has come about. It's a very ambitious and aspirational type of law as I've said and it's extremely comprehensive in terms of what it hopes um, the companies which will be subject to it will be able to deliver. Mm. And, the, uh, and it was passed with, while there was a lot of lobbying around it and a very complex legislative process, um, it was fairly politically broadly supported and didn't have too much opposition uh, to it internally in the European Union at any event.
0: Can you just explain uh, who are those companies that are going to be impacted by it? Because GDPR, I know like I talk about it all the time and people kind of laugh at me and all the rest, mm. but I do think the messaging around GDPR was very clear, very concise, and the average consumer could walk away going, do you know what, my data is now better off as a result of this, or I have more control as a result of this. Who are the the key players in terms of the targeting of this. And then is there clear, concise takeaways for the average consumer?
3: Yes, absolutely. So I suppose the I suppose the reflections on the DSA today is that there's a sliding scale of platforms who are affected and the obligations which are on those platforms reflect how large of a platform they are. So we have significant obligations falling on very large online platforms or very large search engines. And those platforms will shoulder the most significant obligations, I suppose, with smaller and lesser obligations falling on online platforms more generally and hosting services. So it really depends on the size of the platform and there is some complexity in that and we accept that. But um, I suppose it's, uh, it's the, the bigger you are, the bigger player you are, and the more effect you have on the market that's really what drives the, the obligations. And so I suppose to take an example of um, obligations that are active now on nearly every platform is, I suppose, advertising. So one of the key changes which the DSA is ushering in is around advertising regulation and specifically advertising related to vulnerable individuals and minors. And so there's a clear ban on presenting advertising to minors which is based on their personal data. That's an evolution of the GDPR, which we're now seeing in the DSA and something which the GDPR might have included in its own draft, but it's now being remedied in the DSA. And there's also added protections for other, um, I suppose, advertisements in in the DSA. So the DSA DSA provides, and it's linked to 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 the GDPR in respect of special category data, which is data on people, which is, I suppose, protecting their vulnerabilities and, and, and special status. And people cannot now be targeted by ads which use their vulnerabilities to sell goods and services. So a lot of the DSA is protecting Um, individuals and users of platforms in very subtle and nuanced ways that users might not um, even realize when they're using platforms.
2: So yeah I think what has said there is very important Um, I think there might be some confusion in the public mind um, because there are two different categories of companies if you like that the DSA is looking at regulating. One is online platforms kind of broadly cast and um, and then the other is these things called vlops which is i was going to say it's an acronym but it's not it's an initialism um and vlop stands for very large online platforms and they will have a super category of obligations so in much the way that Brehenlaw law of old had a higher set of obligations if you're a chieftain you have a higher set of obligations if you're one of these mammoth platforms and in some people's minds i think it has become, that has become abbreviated to, well, only those platforms need to worry about this law. Um, mm. And that's not. So they have additional obligations for very good reasons because of their market power. Um, and because of the size, they have to have 45 million average monthly active users in order to full to be counted as a VLOP. So it's the biggest companies you would think of. If you look at your phone, you identify them. I always think looking at the home screen of your phone is not a bad way to identify them. Be companies mm. like Meta, Amazon, Amazon for the shop, uh, TikTok, Snapchat, all of that kind of stuff. Wikipedia is one, so is Twitter, or now X. So those have a an additional significant set of obligations on them. Um,
0: yes, just going on what yourself and, and Raymond have just said there, is this something that will put manners, for want of a better phrase, on the VLOPS before the user becomes aware of Something going wrong? Is it to make sure that their houses are in order, so that we, the end users, don't actually realise that things? But basically, trying to preempt problems rather than us having to go to the online safety commissioner, going, this has gone wrong.
3: Certainly, yes. I mean, there's um, a myriad, you know, obligations on them, particularly around due diligence of their own platforms, mm-hmm. and so very large online platforms. I have to take a look indoors and put in place and install compliance teams to look at how their algorithms are are being managed and conduct risk assessments. So that also includes risk mitigation protocols and having external audits being undertaken of how they're complying with the DSA. So those very large online platforms are having to deal with significant external reviews of how they're managing their compliance as well. So certainly it will have that manners effect, which you refer to, yes.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's something, like for such a long time, it's all been self-regulation at the hands of the tech companies, against the tech companies, if you know what I mean. It's always been, the ball's always been in their court. Um, Who will be, or what body here in Ireland will be governing compliance as such? You know, because we have the Data Protection Commission, obviously, for GDPR and for a whole host of other things. Is this something for a commissioning man, and specifically the Online Safety Commissioner?
2: Yeah, it's it's a combination of the Commission the Man and for the VLOPs um, the European Commission. Sorry, Ray, you were about to jump in?
3: Yes, and I suppose there are elements in there for the Data Protection Commissioner as well, around the data elements. So there's uh, I suppose there's there are several regulators involved. As the Gene mentions, the main one is the digital services coordinator, which is Commission de Man. But it, it's it's an interdepartmental, if you like, approach between several regulators.
0: OK, and I suppose that the final question then is uh, what happened this week? Because if you look at a timeline of the DSA, th- there's like a road map that goes a few stops along the way. This week was a landmark moment, but then there's still a bit of road to go. Can you just explain what happened this week and what's yet to happen?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's been a kind of a phased um, bringing into force of this Act. So um, the Act is on the statute books and for most um, companies that are subject to it, um, it really becomes meaningfully um, active next spring. But for the VLOPS, it comes into force um, on the 25th of August.
3: That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, 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 there are various, um, I suppose, timelines and, and e- each of which brings in new obligations. So we've had a series of dates around new VLOPS being being named and legislation being passed and so it it really is um, a a tale of several timelines which are being followed. (laughs) So um, we've got the new um, Online Safety Act, you know, which formed the bedrock for the Commission of Man to be uh, created and and they're now, you know, establishing their own statement of work and establishing themselves. And it's, a, it's an iterative process and it, it, it will take some time for, I suppose, this whole regulatory regime to get upstarted and become effective. Um, so it gives platforms a little bit of time um, to, to get there. Now, mm-hmm. there are hard deadlines like tomorrow where VLOPS and VLSEs are, are designated to have obligations resting on them, but it remains to be seen um, you know, just how, how much time they have to, to effectively put in place their, their protocols around this.
0: Yeah, okay, so there's going to be a lot of work continuing on in the background. As you both said, it's been going on uh, not just with the big tech companies, but obviously a whole host of companies for the last wee while. Uh, but I feel better equipped now because I have a better understanding. This is one of those things that uh, I, I think having your legal background and your legal heads uh, has been very, very beneficial. So thank you both so much for joining me here on News Talk. Thank you. That was Jean Kelly and Raymond Shelley of Brown Jacobson, Ireland. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on on the news talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.